Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Microsoft pushing higher in the after hours following its earnings report. We will find out what is next for this trillion-dollar company. Plus, CrowdStrike striking it big in its first earnings report since its IPO. We will dive inside the numbers. And oil getting crushed in today's session. We'll find out what is fueling the crude collapse. But we begin tonight with big breaking news on Boeing, the company out with new numbers on the impact of the grounded 737 MAX planes. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the very latest. Phil. Melissa, not surprisingly, Boeing will take a big hit when it comes to the Q2 earnings that it reports next week. Let's run down the numbers the company announced within the last half hour. It's taking a $4.9 billion after-tax charge. That works out to $8.74 a share. That's for the second quarter. Essentially, it comes down to the 737 MAX. They say it's due to concessions and considerations they're going to be needing to make to customers, not only those they've made in the second quarter, but extending out over the next couple of years. Revenue and pre-tax earnings, they're going to drop by $5.6 billion in the second quarter, or they're going to be reduced by that much in the second quarter. Production costs in the second quarter up an estimated $1.7 billion, but we should point out that is accounted for over the life of the program. So it's going to be extended out over many years since they've got more than 4,000 737 MAXs on order. The assumption from Boeing at this point is that the airplane returns to service in the fourth quarter. Now, we should point out That is a very general, vague assumption. They are not saying for sure that it will happen. They're not putting a date out there. They're simply saying their assumption is that it returns to service in the fourth quarter. In terms of production, which is what so many people have been focused on, it remains at 42 per month. And the company is saying as part of this new guidance that they've issued, they still believe they can get to 57 per month at some point in 2020. And in terms of guidance, Melissa, Remember, they pulled it after the first quarter. They said, we're not really sure what's going on with the MAX at this point. Therefore, we're not giving guidance. Today, they've said they will give guidance for 2019 at some point in the future when remains unknown. Melissa? At a future date is the uh, exact wording. Phil, I mean, what were analysts yeah. expecting in terms of this charge? And what? how should we extrapolate or, or should we extrapolate this charge in the second quarter to future quarters if the 737 MAX remains grounded for longer, for beyond the fourth quarter? Well, I think most of the assumptions were roughly in this neighborhood. I've not seen a definitive hey, we're expecting this charge. That's the consensus on the street. But I know most analysts that I've talked with were around this area, this you know, $4.9 billion after tax. In terms of whether or not you can extrapolate this and say, look, they didn't deliver in the second quarter on the 3.7 max. They didn't deliver in the third quarter or may not deliver in the third quarter. Therefore, we should see the same charge. I wouldn't do that, Melissa, because remember, there are certain costs in here that they are going to be accounting for over the life of this program. And in terms of that concessions of that $4.9 billion, that's for concessions and other considerations to customers. They make it very clear in this announcement that's not just for the second quarter, while that's where the charge is being taken, it's over many years. 
So we may see a charge for the third quarter related to the max, but it may not be at the same degree that we're seeing here. Bill, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. Do you have any idea about the purchase price of a 737 MAX, what it was a year ago or six months ago even before any of this ah, happened and what it right. is now? Because this is their you know, future for years. Yeah, well, the book price hasn't changed, Karen. They still list it. And I don't know the exact amount, but I do know that it hasn't changed. But keep in mind, when they sell these planes, they never sell them at the price that's listed there. It usually is at a great discount to the price that they listed at. And so as a result, it's hard to sit there and say, well, look, they're knocking off this amount on each of these planes. I think it depends on the customer. It depends on the size of the order. Uh, and it also depends on, to a certain extent, the customer saying, look, we're paying the price in some fashion, whether it's leasing other aircraft, whether it's uh, changing our schedule, reducing the amount of flights that we have there. All of that is factored into how much the end price will be. All right, Phil, thanks a lot for all the details. Phil LeBeau with the latest on Boeing. Shares, by the way, up nearly 2% in the after-hour session. We should note that the stock was down more than 2% today. Uh, Guy, what do you make of this? I think it's gotten, obviously, you just said it just got back what it lost during the day. At least you have some, a degree of certainty now in terms of a number. I mean, they basically came out and told you what they expect it to be, what they're taking in terms of a charge. I'll still say this. I mean, this stock... When it troughed back in March, it traded basically down to 365, mm -hmm. sideways slightly lower, sideways slightly higher, but here we are now at effectively the same price. I'll still say this, valuation to me makes sense. I think you're underestimating the defense component of this company, which is not nearly as big as commercial airlines. I get it, but still significant, and I think you can own it in earnings. I would understand why you'd want to avoid it. But I still think but this is a pretty compelling play. Yeah, Trump but the, but here it is. The headline headline defense risk. Thing. But you're still going to have to train people on how to use this plane. Still, even when it does come back, there sure. there could be a year long training program on this. So if you have it, maybe you hold on to it. I would not step in and be a buyer right now. Well, let me ask you this: When the 737 Max goes back into service, let's say it goes back into service December 5th, Dan, you're going to take your family on a holiday and you know, Christmas. Funny, I, Are you going to go on a 737 Max? You're going to wait. I was on a flight yesterday, and the flight attendant went out of her way to say, you are on <laughs> a 737 blah, 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 not a Max. You know, I mean, this is definitely top of mind. I, I just want to say one thing about, you know, the headline risk. You know, so Guy is saying that he thinks the valuation makes sense. If you think that they get above $20 in earnings next year, then the, the valuation makes sense here if you're willing to kind of take a little time with this thing because it's going to really, you know, it's going to take months to figure it out. I, I'll just one point. This stock is still up 12%. It's trading on the year. It's trading at the same level where it was when the Lion Air crash happened in October. And there was another crash. 350 people have died. If this was any other sort of company, I don't right. know why this stock hell, is still trading with a three-handle. Because just remember last year when Apple, oh my goodness, uh, iPhone sales were slowing and China was weak. That stock sold off 35% right. peak to trough. And nobody died. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. Although, let me ask something, Dan. Don't you think that the stock has, we've seen just a drumbeat of terrible news, right? Obviously, the two crashes, horrific news. And then the delays and then the uncertainty about how do they train the pilots and all of that, though. And then the air show where they sold the first day, nothing. And it, it seems to me like the drumbeat of bad news is actually played out. Here's a gigantic charge. Nobody cares. It seems to me like that's already all played out. And yeah, if we'll there's nothing else. What, what happens if there's one other I'm instance? Each, each, there's going to be a learning curve. Each time it trades down, less, less on bad news. Sure. But right. once so, you get that the pilots can't be trained and it's a little more difficult, at first they just said it was going to be a software fix. Then the pilots have to be retrained. The story keeps getting longer. 
Granted, your point I agree with, but the it's story's the not over. The stock is sort of bottomed, even with whatever bad news is coming it's out. It's trading last decently in the face of all this bad 100%, news. hundred percent. Isn't, isn't uh, that is that the definition the of good price up, action? The fact that it's up over eleven percent year to date yeah. is phenomenal. Isn't that with a, one reason to give it a chance, though? I, I've owned this stock on and off over the years, and the people that own the stock believe in it forever. I sold it up 150 points. I thought it was a hero. I can't go back into it right now. <laughs> I mean, this is this is just crazy. Even though the valuation is not nuts, it just feels like I'm gambling with a $100 move. All right, we've got some uh, more breaking news here. On the airlines, let's get to Eamon Javers at the White House. Eamon? Yeah, Melissa, that's right. We are told that this meeting may be breaking up right now. This is a meeting between the airline CEOs and the President of the United States in the Oval Office, which has been going on this afternoon. I am picking up on a relatively intense controversy that's been swirling behind the scenes about this meeting. And let me tell you what the controversy is. Uh, a person familiar, familiar with the meeting tells me that the U.S. Uh, air carriers here uh, requested a meeting through Mick Mulvaney, the White House uh, acting chief of staff with the President of the United States. Uh, and then after that, according to this person, the White House invited Qatar Airlines to attend the same meeting. Now, the meeting was to discuss, according to this person, uh, the frustrations on the U.S. side about Qatar Airlines and their ownership stake in an Italian carrier that's flying into the United States. They feel that's anti-competitive. They feel it's not fair. Uh, and they wanted to voice some of those grievances. Uh, when the Qataris were added to this White House meeting, I'm told the reaction was, quote, utter shock. The person said they were shocked uh, that he would be included, the CEO of the Qatari Airlines. Uh, it must have been a Jared Kushner idea, this person said. Maybe Jared's getting 666 Fifth Avenue refinanced right now in this meeting. So some intense frustration here on the part of some familiar with this meeting that the Qatari side even attended. When you look, take a look at the list of uh, airlines that are in the room uh, with the president today, you see that it's uh, some of the big American names, American Airlines, United, JetBlue, and also Qatar, FedEx, and Atlas, which is a cargo carrier. Uh, so that both sides of this debate are represented in this room. Now, I can also tell you that I spoke to a White House official just now about this who pushes back on this characterization of events and says uh, that Qatar was always scheduled to be in this meeting uh, and that Jared Kushner is not scheduled to attend the meeting. That is, he wasn't on the official invite list for the meeting. Uh, the person familiar with the meeting initially said that they suspected that Jared Kushner had been the person uh, to suggest that the Qataris be invited, but the White House su suggesting that may not be the case. So a dispute here, some real hurt feelings uh, and some uh, controversy behind the scenes about this meeting, which is just breaking up now, Melissa. So basically, Eamon, the U.S. airlines feel that perhaps the administration is sort of taking the side of, of Qatar Airlines. And this also, the backdrop is that the House, as I understand it, has sponsored a bill um, that would limit the access of foreign airlines. A flag of convenience, I think, is what it's called, where they have joint ventures such as the Qatar Airlines with this Look, Italian carrier to access the U.S. Yeah, I think the feeling on the American side is that the president ultimately uh, is going to see this as about American jobs. Uh, and that's going to be the way this uh, is adjudicated, this dispute. But uh, we'll see what happens. The meeting is just breaking up now. But I can tell you that during the meeting, uh, you're hearing from people who are familiar with the meeting. And there's really intense frustration and shock that the Qataris uh, were even invited to this thing in the first place. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers you at the White House for us. Karen, the other day, I forgot what company you were talking about in terms of a company being called to the White House or to the Hill, and you say uh -huh. it's never a good thing. <laughs> right. What do, you, what do you make of this meeting, um, your shareholder in the airlines? Right. Uh, I, I would be perturbed if I were an airline executive yeah. to be sort of blindsided, one, but even if you weren't blindsided, 
too, did not, this is the president who talks about America first, right? You would think that that would be what they would hope to come out of a meeting like this. Right. Not Inviting America the other side. after the cutter. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the meeting is going to result in. There was a lot of, you know, he said, she said. We don't even know what was said there. So getting back to a trade, if you look at Delta, let's tie this in with the Boeing trade. If you look at a Delta, Delta has outperformed. No exposure to MAX. No exposure or limited exposure Mm -hmm. to the MAX. And then you get American Airlines, who does have exposure, or United uh, with some exposure. But the stark difference in the year-to-date performance you cannot deny it. Yeah. Delta yeah. Airlines quickly. I mean, I thought the quarter was great. They raised full-year guidance. Mm-hmm. The stock at eight and a half times forward earnings still cheap. Sixty dollars was the breakout level above there. Now I think at an all-time high. I think if you want to buy an airline, you trade Delta from the long side against sixty bucks, Mel. All right, still ahead. Microsoft jumping after a big earnings beat. The conference call is about to kick off in the next fifteen minutes. We'll tell you what you can expect. Plus, the new kids on the street just reported earnings. Chewy and CrowdStrike out with their first reports since going public. Those conference calls are underway. We'll bring you the very latest there as those stocks are up. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We've got an earnings alert on Microsoft up more than a percent after hours on its earnings. The conference call kicking off in a few minutes. Let's get to John Fort with the details. John. Well, what we really want to hear, Melissa, on this call is the guidance, of course, is the end of the fiscal year, beginning of another one. In this particular report where Microsoft just showed strength in a lot of business units, one of the areas of investment was artificial intelligence. So if that operating expense guidance uh, is a a little higher or a little lower uh, than expected, we'll see. Expect AI to be a part of that. But over Overall, not only does the cloud momentum continue uh, to be solid with Azure uh, still picking up its share of the slack, uh, that intelligent cloud business faring well. Also, productivity business process. You look at Office 365, you look at LinkedIn, the mix there actually positive for gross margins at Microsoft. So uh, expect to hear a little bit more about whether that is going to continue, guys. All right, John. Thanks. John Fort keeping us updated here. Dan. What do you make of the quarter? Uh, I'm pretty astounding. Revenue growth at 12%. Obviously, John just mentioned margins in those key cloud areas. Um, you know, and margin expansion, I think, deserves one thing that's really important. I know that, you know, one of the, the bear cases into the quarter was that absurd growth is slowing. It was at 64% year over year to, you know, a big run rate. I think it was like, uh, you know, north of $10 billion, but that's down from like 75% the last couple quarters. Here's the thing. You know, the stock's up 33% coming into the year. It's, you know, got this massive trillion-dollar market cap. It seems to be a lot of unusually positive sentiment here. And putting up the right numbers. So to me, I don't know how you buy the stock at $138 here at an all-time high. It makes new all-time highs every day this quarter, it felt like. Um, but they're doing a lot of stuff so right it's there. It's impossible to say anything negative against Microsoft. Except for the valuation. 
Well, I, I, even even that, I don't I don't know. I mean, you you probably have a problem with the valuation, a but little, but, right. but but I would use the. So you say I, I would treat it as wait till it breaks through 140. Treat that as your support level, but do not buy it here. I mean, the, the, this seems aggressive buying it at all time highs. Where are you seeing on valuation? Uh, it's a little rich. Obviously, every time the name comes up, feels stupid that I don't own it, but. Uh, you know, if they're really successful being able to have more subscription revenue, then that, that P.E. should be higher. It's interesting that, God, those numbers were fantastic, and the stock's only up a buck why, why wouldn't it get a multiple expansion, though, for you? No, with maybe being a cloud. I, at 30, I don't know. It, it's my own fault. Having seen it at, you know, mid-teens, uh-huh. it's just hard to do. All right, now at 30, now I got to. Well, I mean, I think, I, mean, I think that's a question here, and that is, does the stock deserve a re-rating? And mm-hmm. so the prior metrics in terms of being highly valued should be re-looked at re-examined and maybe brought higher. It's been getting that, though. I mean, to Dan's point, I think it's yeah. been getting that for the last year. I mean, Dan coined MAGA. It's brilliant. And the M in MAGA <laughs> wow. is Microsoft. And ever since he's done it, this, oh, there you go. it yeah. used to be Mattel, but he changed it. Yeah. I mean, that brilliantly changed it. But at a certain point, valuation matters. I mean, you're right, should it get, but it's trained 28 times next year's earnings. I mean, you could say a lot of great things. Operating margins, much better than the street was looking for. At a certain point, valuation well, matters. And we played the game. What is that game which, we played? Which, which game? There's so many. There's pick your poison? poison? No, no, no. That's the new game. new game. Pick your poison is Trade genius. Trade it? Yeah. Would you rather? And, we, and, I, and, okay. I, and you came into Microsoft and said, look, I'm trying to play by the rules there, Melms, but I would trade it into earnings, and I'd pull the ripcord, and I'm going to stand by that, I think. You'll pull the ripcord on up one. Is one there a chance of 150? I think somebody just put a 150 well, price on it. Maybe, but, but I guy, think you take profits with the stock, here, Dan. Yeah, with the stock sitting right here, and John Ford just said, you got to wait for what? what is that fiscal 2020 guidance look like right now? EPS is expected to grow 8%. That's a massive deceleration from the last few years, despite that we've had this um, margin improvement, and sales are expected to grow about 10%. I think you have to go back to 2013-14 when Satya took over and they started changing towards this cloud-based uh, model here, earnings were not growing then. And the stock was kind of dead in the water for a little bit. And then it started taking up when they put the numbers up. So when you have this sort of deceleration, talking about buying it at all-time high, I know you're not. I'm just saying that would seem kind of odd. You had a shot earlier yeah. this year when it broke out above 120. It got back to I those agree, bar highs. I agree. see Walgreens sign up with 380,000 licenses, okay. AT&T with 250,000, Unilever with 155,000. It's catching on and it's better than the old model. So it all hinges on how much more the multiple expansion story can go from here. You know, right. Dan looked at me with daggers. Did you see that? Because you were looking. He looks at everybody with daggers. What are you everybody. mad at me? I haven't even been crazy. here. You're he mad has, at me. He has it's resting like, dagger face. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> we'll have much more on Microsoft throughout the hour as that conference call is about to get underway. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, what trade war? Semis are surging. Find out why one market pro says an even bigger breakout could be coming for the chip stocks. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. A much more Fast Money right after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chip stocks, once one of the hardest hit groups amid the trade war, surging in the last month up nearly 10 percent. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break down what is behind this chip rally. Hey, Bob. Hi, Melissa. It's a big week for semiconductors and the two main ETFs, the market cap weighted SOX and the equal weighted SMH, both hit the highest levels in two months on positive commentary from semiconductor capital equipment maker ASML and from Taiwan Semi which said it expects a stronger second half of the year as 5G telecom-related demand increases. It's been a really tough slog for the semis. First, the global slowdown clobbered them at the end of last year. Then the China trade war intensifying clobbered them again back in May. Then the Huawei ban came. Then Japan's export restrictions against South Korea. It's all led to lower profit projections and lower margins overall. Despite all the worries, the Vanek Semiconductor ETF, a basket of the largest players, is only 3% from its historic high in late April. There's even a few individual breakouts as well. KLA 10 Core and ASML, they're at historic highs. Texas Instruments and Analog Devices, they're just off historic highs. Marvel's at a 13-year high. What gives? Investors are simply reflecting the belief that the semiconductor industry is only going to get bigger. It's not just the PC space or the smartphone space. It's cloud computing, artificial intelligence, 5G, autos. The principal semiconductor firms are bigger, there's more consolidation, and there's a belief they can better handle the peaks and troughs. We'll see. Even the bulls admit that the whole premise could fall apart very quickly if the global economy keeps slumping more or the trade wars intensify. Back to you, Melissa. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. Let's trade it here. We had good news out of Taiwan Semi. Uh, Upgrade to Skyworks today as well. Which is a bellwether. Dan and Brian Kelly, when he's here from time to time, will always point to Taiwan Semi saying that's a bellwether. Quickly on Micron, and obviously we had it right, but I've had it very wrong now since our stock was trading 39. I looked at the quarter. It was $32 stock. Made sense that it rallied, but then you look at it, I mean, revenue's down 45% in NAND, down 24% in DRAM year over year. You had to say to yourself, this declining business, stock should stall, and now it's trading 44.5. I think people are saying exactly what Bob just said, so I was wrong there. But in terms of some of these other names, Xilinx, if you want some beta, I think Xilinx at 123 here is the one you want to be but, in. But on, on Micron, Micron, I was negative on it as well, based on DRAM prices. It popped. It's up 40% year to date, but it popped 37%. To Guy's point, where, where Papa was oversold. Now Micron is actually overbought. So if I had to pick one, AMD is up 80% year to date, mm-hmm. still not overbought. I'd buy either AMD or NVIDIA. How about a bigger picture read on this? We said 10% in the past month, the yeah. gain. 
Is that lasting? So here's what I take away from the Taiwan Semi, what's really important. We finally had a CEO. This is a company that has guided down a couple times in the last year, and they basically said that we've seen the bottom of the cycle, and we expect demand to increase in the second half of the year. Those are the sorts of confidence in in, an outlook that we have not heard from very cyclical um, CEOs of companies. So to me, I think that's interesting. Um, That being said, if you just look at Taiwan Semi, it's been an amazingly volatile stock since the start of 2018. I think there's been three peak to trough declines of 20% here. So we're getting back up to those prior high. Look at that. Look what they just did there. You know, getting back to the prior highs, I just think that we're going to need some more, um, you know, we're going to need some more data on trade before you want to play something like this for a breakout. To me, I see the whole space as sort of a sentiment trade. I'm not of that sentiment right now. I'm nervous about the economy. I'm nervous about a trade deal. So I'm kind of staying away from the whole space. I have a would you rather. I love this game. Would you rather. Calls of the day. The upgrade on Skyworks Solution. Would you rather Skyworks Solution or the Qualcomm downgrade by Barclays? Qualcomm or Skyworks? Oh, given the choice of those two. Which is the essence no, but of see, the game. People will say, oh, because I just got to make sure that people understand that. Was it two points? I'm kidding. (laughs) I would rather be in the Skyworks upgrade than the Qualcomm downgrade in the Would You Rather game. Why? Because I think think Qualcomm's too cheap. I think they have a great balance sheet, and I think you're playing stock market with Qualcomm. That's why I don't think you want to short that name. All right. Our next guest says there is something happening in the market that is signaling an even bigger rally for chips. Let's go off the charts with Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. Rob, what are you looking at? Great. Thanks, Melissa. Well, I think what's happening with the semis, it's the thin edge of a much bigger trade developing for the broader market cycle, which is cyclicals are starting to come back. So if we look at the opposite side of that trade, we look at a lot of the bond proxies. We think bond yields are very oversold and due to rebound as we move into the second half. The names that have benefited from that, staples and utilities, we think are at risk. Let's take a look at a couple of the charts. I think it's really interesting here. If we look at this trend channel or trend line at the upper end of where uh, Pepsi's been trading, and then we look at where these momentum indicators are, we think that after this big move that we've had into 2019, there's risk in these stocks that they come back in. So we're much more interested in trimming exposure to names like Pepsi, or if we take a look at some of the utilities, and Southern's a pretty good example of that, and if we draw this long trend line, it's a little bit sloppy, but it's right there, we've got Southern right back to the old highs, and here again that momentum indicator is beginning to peak. So we think you're at risk here in the bond proxies of a shift away from defensive areas as we move into the second half, and you want to be looking at more cyclical names. Now, we've been lucky. We've been bullish on the semiconductor since the beginning of the year, and the reason for that lines up with what we saw back in 2016, a major low off that 200-week. That's the four-year average. And we saw something very similar for a name like Texas Instruments. Now, granted, it has rallied right back into resistance here. But this little consolidation in the upper end of the range we still think is bullish. You can get a pullback. You may have some uh, blips as we get into earnings. But generally, this is a much bigger consolidation over 18 months, and it's going to be moving higher. We think this momentum indicator here is still very bullish. And for something that's a little less extended, and there's a few other names that have lagged, we still like the semi-cap names. Again, here's a name that's bottomed off that 200-week moving average almost exactly in the fourth quarter last year. You've had a very nice orderly pullback. If we were to have a 200-day moving average, it's right there. We think they go higher. We think you want to own semis. We think you want to sell bond proxies or at least reduce your exposure. And you want to be adding to more cyclical themes for a second-half rally in more more, uh, cyclical stocks. All right, Rob, why don't you come on over to the desk? Jonah will bring the chair in, as he does. So well, I might yeah, add. Unbelievable. Maybe Thank the you, best Jonah. ever. The in best history, ever in the maybe. pantheon of pages the who bring the chairs of pages. over. Parthenon. So, Rob, do you think that there's going to just be a general risk on trade in the second half of the year? 
Yes, I do. I think we're already starting to see that. I think the action in the semis, there was all kinds of opportunities to see those stocks sell off. We had that little pullback in the second quarter. It wasn't that dramatic. The stocks had a huge run. They're pulling back. I think they go higher. So whatever near-term blips that we get into earnings, maybe there's going to be some misses here. Micron's had a big move, needs to pull back. But there's another stock. If you look at it on that 200-week uh, moving average, it's coming right off that long-term trend. I think the cycle's higher. So yes, I do think risk on. I think you want to favor the cyclicals. I think people are massively not positioned in those names and overly positioned in the bond proxies. The market indexes may not make a lot of headway. Names like Microsoft could just trade sideways here, just big cap. But that's part of that sort of defensive move. I think you want to be adding to cyclicals. Where, where do you put a name like Starbucks? Because I looked at it today. It closed on the dead high today. It's up 23% since the start of June, up 42% today. on the year. And, and I'm trying to figure out what bucket that would go into because it seems kind of risk on. But is it defense? I, I don't I, know what I, the heck's going I on there. I think the restaurants is more as, as risk off. Yeah, really? and so that's part of the defensive name. I think so. You know, sort of early cycle. I think it depends on what restaurant now. Well, I good mean, point. Good point. A McDonald's <laughs> versus a sit-down, you know, quick serve restaurant. Yes, fair enough. Fair that's, enough. But they have you know. generally been outperforming uh, through the second quarter, where a lot of the the more cyclical names have have sold off. So I'm more inclined to want to trim exposure. There's nothing wrong with that chart. It's a great chart, right? It's leading to the upside, had the big breakout. It's a great chart. It's gone up $20 in a month and a half. I mean, literally, in a straight line. <laughs> you know, and you know, on a percentage basis, that's getting a little nuts. And, and the valuation is getting stretched, and growth is you know, single digits. Earnings Fine, but, but it's not breaking down yet. It's not, there's no evidence no. of divergences. So it's still leading. It's still working. You sort of have to wait for some signs of, of a turn. But that's not where I'd want to be putting more capital. And the same with Microsoft. Great chart. Nothing wrong with it. But it's at the upper end of a multi-year trend channel. That probably goes sideways. But how long do you wait? I'm long cyclicals. How long do you wait? Some of them have just moved either sideways to lower. If you don't see that rotation, do you start to rethink your thesis on that? It's, a, it's, a, it's always a risk. I'm always willing. If the data changes, I'll change my mind. But I, I, think, I think you buy this stuff now. Look at some of the financials starting to dig in. Uh, laggards like uh, Schwab are right down to the 200-week moving average. Looks very timely. Uh, industrial names, ITW, CAT, these things have all gone sideways for 18 months. Yes, they're not great. Yes, they're not leading. But the, but the positioning in them, I, I don't think they're overbought in any way. That's where the rotation is, in my view. Rob, thank you. Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. Do you agree with Rob here? So you're, you're leading me to bring <laughs> Rob back, but I'm no, smart no, enough I'm to not. know that I, I don't not. bring back the guests. I am not. Here'd be my concern, okay? Mm -hmm. And I try to, and I, this is not a political show, but you got to look at this through the through the lens of President Trump. Stock market's at an all-time high. Is he more inclined now to play hardball with the Chinese based on the fact that the market's at an all-time high and he's got a little wiggle room? My suggestion would be yes. So I think the trade talks with China get more difficult which is the reason why I would avoid the semis at these levels. Does that make sense? So to your yes. fundamental view is at odds with Rob's technical view. Rob's gone, so I don't know how to answer that. But yes, my fundamental right. view is Rob at odds who? with Rob's technical Who's view. Who's Rob? Rob All right, Jackson. let's go check on Microsoft as we had to break. The trillion-dollar company jumping in the after hours. It's up more than 1%, 1.6% right now. Conference calls getting underway as we speak. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, it's an IPO party as Chewy and CrowdStrike report earnings for the first time as public companies. Much more on those reports when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Time for an earnings whip. Check out shares of pet supply retailer Chewy and CrowdStrike, both in the green in their first earnings reports as public companies. Simo Modi's covering Chewy. 
For us and Rahel Solomon's all of our CrowdStrike's reports, so Seema, kick it off. Hey, Melissa. So the first earnings call for Chewy and CEO Sumit Singh touched on a number of highlights, including investment into pet health care, expanding its Chewy pharmacies to provide for pet health care needs, and launching a new pharmacy in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, in an effort to speed up deliveries, it has opened its eighth f- fulfillment center in Ohio to deliver products in two days or less to customers. And Chewy CEO Sumit Singh telling CNBC in an exclusive interview that they're banking on more growth going forward. Two things there, Wilfred. One, first of all, if you look at in 2017, the pet market was about $70 billion. Uh, you know, if you divide that by about 85 million households, you're looking at about an average household spend for somewhere around $900 to $1,000. And if you look at e-commerce penetration in the United States, it's still pretty low. Uh, we are still early in our growth. Wall Street analysts already reacting to Chewy's report. Wedbush Securities telling me time will tell whether the company is able to deliver strong margin improvement at the same time grow the top line rapidly. How Chewy navigates the promotional environment with Amazon's recent more aggressive offers will be important to monitor. Now, it's important to note it's not just Amazon that is the big competitor to Chewy. J.M. Smucker recently strengthening its pet food portfolio with an acquisition of Ainsworth for $1.7 billion and General Mills buying Blue Buffalo for $8 billion. The competition is certainly strong. Melissa, shares are up in after hours trading up over 44% in extended trade. I'm curious, Melissa, you and the guys on the desk, how many own a pet? Um, you, you, everybody except for me. Everybody, <laughs> me as well. <laughs> but per capita, we've got more than one per yeah, person. there we go. Yes. So, yeah. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi, we will trade this in just a moment, but we do want to hit CrowdStrike. That stock is soaring in the after-hour session. Rahel Solomon's back at headquarters with Wall Street's reaction to the results. Rahel. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, you can count me in, too. I also have a pet. So CrowdStrike up more than 8%, almost 9% in after-hours trading. So the numbers were in line with what the company reported in June on their S1. But here's the interesting thing here. So the cybertech company raised guidance for Q2 and full year. The company reported revenue growth of 103% year-over-year. Alex Henderson of Needham Company telling me that it was a bit of a surprise to see the company raise guidance, telling me, quote, that this company is really crushing it. Customers love the efficacy. They really do stop the breach. So this is the first quarterly report for the cybersecurity firm after going public last month. And Melissa and guys, just for some context here, CrowdStrike is the company that the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, hired to investigate the hack of their systems that the Russians were behind. Right now, we can see the stock trading uh, around the $72 range, around $79, more than doubling the IPO price of 34 Melissa, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon, pet owner. Now, let's trade these names. Where do you want to go first, Dan? Uh, Let's do CrowdStrike. I mean, I I think, listen, we've talked about a lot of recent IPOs in their first quarter out of the gate, and you got to crush it, like that analyst uh, mentioned. And they did save a little. You know, they guided revenues up for the year 5%. But I think most importantly, that loss, uh, your annual loss, is much lower than expected. I think analysts are expecting about a buck, and they're guiding to about 71 cent loss. So those are the sorts of things. And let me just tell you, it's trading about 80 in the aftermarket. Uh, You know, you've heard me say this before. Stocks that traded 80, you know, usually go to 90 and 100 before it's all said and done especially if you think that the market's got more legs because this is where you get the beta. Can I ask you why you say that? Because it sounds Oh, when they go to 90, odd. you know, like we were talking about Starbucks at 91. Uh-huh. Never been a, there. It's going to 100. Like, just a like gravita- yeah. Yeah. gravitational yeah. pull. Yeah, yeah. That, Same way on the that, way down. See, that's not gravitational Same way on the way down. pull. Once it trades into the single digits, the company usually is going out of business. Single digits, that's a long way from All right, well, but, but, it's yeah, the same I, type I of thing. It, You're talking okay. about the last 10% on the way up and the last 10% on the way down. You know, wouldn't gravity pull something lower. But that's true. 
Brilliant. Apparently, it depends it's on where you are. But so, yeah. can I play the Chewy card? Because I mean, course. the crowd strike is all nice want. and interesting. But I like, listen, real life stuff, right? I've been away a couple of days. So I'll come home tonight. Crickets. The dog uh -huh. walks into the room. It's like everybody won freaking lotto. I mean, that's the difference in the world. People love their pets. And you look at this: active customers up 44 percent year over year. Mm -hmm. Operating margins better. I mean, this is actually a very good story. And if you don't think there's going to be competition, you buy the stock. I just don't think they have a big enough moat to justify this valuation. Amazon and Walmart. Yeah. Right. Two That's, words. That, right. So of the two, to me, I like CrowdStrike better. I mean, as Dan sort of alluded to, this is a managed earnings call, right? They didn't go public that long ago. They had very good Everybody insight. Everybody knew into, what to right? expect. They knew what to expect, and they knew where they were what you know what how they could beat so raising the bar for themselves but they must feel pretty confident i i agree with dan i, I like are we treating this like a growth stock because if we're treating it like a growth stock the way they're increasing or trying to get to profitability is they're cutting CrowdStrike. they're cutting their sales and they're cutting their marketing that sounds like a mature company to me so i i wouldn't touch either one of them at this level. I think CrowdStrike has a little bit of headwind going forward. I think that people just wanted a piece of this because it was sexy. All right, let's get a check on Microsoft once again. The tech giant holding on to its gains in the after-hours session as the conference call gets underway. We'll hear from the CEO in just a few minutes. Plus, check out that Kramer cam, and there's Jim talking to Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. You will not believe how he says millennials are boosting their business. Those comments right after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Financials higher today as we near the end of a big week of earnings for the big banks. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan just sat down with Mad Money's Jim Cramer to discuss his company's quarter and how one certain group is helping boost their business. There's a debate about whether banks like us uh, are appealing to millennials. Right. We open accounts at three times the population rate. Uh, in our new sales. We have about twice the population rate of millennials in our customer base today. They have you know, 60, 70 billion dollars of checking deposit, just the millennials and then Gen Z add another chunk on top of that. It's already a huge customer base and uh, the 16 million, uh, million customers who are digital only millennials have 200 billion dollars of investments and deposits and loans with us. You can catch Kramer's full interview with Moynihan coming up top of the hour, 6 p.m. Eastern time. In the meantime, let's trade financials. I would think that millennials, in some respects, are a dream cohort for Bank of America because they don't like tellers. They don't want to go into the branch. They want to do everything digitally, and that's the most efficient way of Right, of unless they want to do it digitally with someone else, right? True. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. so, yeah. Because it's easy to do that. Mm. But no, good for him. I think, you know, I, I think they've done a great job. I think the stock here, even though it's had a very nice week, still not expensive. I do own it. I own J.P. Morgan. I own uh, City as well. I think Bank America had the, the strongest earnings of the quarter. Good for them. I'm glad to hear that because that is the one threat uh, that actually sort of gets me a little nervous. You know, when you look at the financials, so I, I downplay them. J.P. Morgan's up 18% year-to-date. Bank of America up 17% year-to-date. If you go back to 2016, Bank of America has outperformed Google, Facebook, and Morgan Stanley by 3 to 1. From the beginning of 2017 to 20, 2016. So you have that big bump for lower regulation, lower taxes. It's up 137% against the Google up 57%. You know, it's interesting when you hear um, Brian Moynihan talk like that and just really kind of um, focus on the millennials and the percentage of their business and the growth there. It makes you think about Square. It makes you think about pay, uh, PayPal's Venmo. And you say to yourself, okay, at some point, are we going to see some kind of deals to kind of get some of these properties that already have very good adoption amongst this group? Because some of these guys, we're going to talk about it a little bit, are not having the same success of maybe a Wells Fargo um, in this demographic. I understand why J.P. Morgan, we talk about this all the time, gets a premium valuation. 
the bank probably deserves it. The bull case for Citi, which Karen can speak to, is at $72. It's trading at a discount to book value, which is 79 and a half. That's what the bulls, I think, will look at. Bear case is maybe it should be trading tangible book, which is 67 and a half. I'm finding myself somewhere in the middle, which is exactly where the stock is. But I'll say this. Again, European banks, I do believe, are in trouble. And you have to be wary of, in my opinion, the bank with the most exposure. And I think that would be Citi. Well, financials, they are up nearly 20% this year, but one trader says a bank breakdown could be coming this summer. So, Dan, you want to head over yeah. to the Plasma? Oh, let's talk about the XLF. That's oh, the ETF. That's a select ETF. Take it easy, buddy. Um, you know, we had all the money centers report this week. Uh, JP, Bank America, City, and Wells Fargo. That's about 30% of the weight of the XLF. And what's interestingly to me is that the XLF, despite what looked to be decent results from most of those guys, is down on the week. So, uh, you know, Put volume was one and a half times average daily volume. And one trade caught my eye. It really could be just protection, maybe against a basket um, of some banks. But when the ETF was trading at 28 today, there was a roll. Uh, there was a seller of 5,000 of the August 27 puts and a buyer to open of the August 30th. So give themselves uh, two more weeks of some downside down to 27. Maybe that is um, protection. But it's really interesting. Let's look at the charts here. I know that a lot of people want to be constructive on valuation, and those results seem pretty fine here, but, you know, we just finally have this thing breaking out of this downtrend that's been in place. That's the XLF. Um, you know, I just want to make one point. We talk about J.P. Morgan all the time. A lot of overhead resistance here at 120, but, well, what do they say? The longer the base, the higher in space. If that thing yep. finally gets out, I think that's the one people crowd into. And just real quickly, lastly, though, this one, this is a massive bank, Wells Fargo here. We know that they've had a lot of problems here. Look at this downtrend. Can't get out of its own way. Some people might call this thing Thing, um, you know, sitting at 45, massive, massive long-term technical support here. I would say that's possibly one of those triangle of deaths coming here. So you want to be careful. Wells Fargo to the downside below 45. The triangle of death and a Louise Yamada call out. In <laughs> Tremendous. Wow. Nice. Thanks, Dan. For more Options Action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, or tweet us at Options Action. Surprise guests tomorrow. Oh, I said it the other Chair day. Chairwoman. Exactly. All right, take a look at shares of Burger Chain Red Robin on fire in the after hour session. Chairwoman here may have a clue on what is behind this move. It's up 10%. That is coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Red Robin soaring in the after hours market up but more than 10% after filing a 13D schedule. Karen, you are in this name, I, so let's get a fine print. Okay, the fine print is Vintage, who is the uh, big 11.5% holder we saw a few weeks ago. They made a proposal for $40 a share. They have amended their 13D filing today, and there's a few clues in it that are very promising, I think. One, they say discussions are underway or continuing discussions. That means the board is now open to at least having a dialogue with them. That's really important. The second thing is, in that filing, they laid out generally, not with the greatest of specifics, but generally what the financing for a deal that they would want to do at $40 would look like. And the third thing is, now I think the situation is one where other bidders can come in. They didn't want to, other bidders like O'Rourke or somebody wouldn't want to be hostile. If there was a process in place, though, then they could come in. And I think we are now looking at a situation where there is a process in place. So with the stock here and a potential $40 bid on the table, I think it's very attractive. You stay long. I stay long. You went long when this activist I went first long came in. When he came out. Mm -hmm. So the stock was trading 34 or 33, traded down to 30 because people hadn't heard anything. Here, he, where he's back. So your worst, worst case scenario is 40 then? 
Just well, my worst case scenario is the deal falls apart. Well, yeah, and yeah, 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 of course. Right. But, but I think 40 is not the most likely outcome. I think a higher, a higher is more likely. All right. Let's get to Microsoft uh, hitting after our session highs. The call's underway. Let's get to John at headquarters, John Fort, that is. He's been monitoring it, John. <laughs> well, as you would expect in a quarter like this, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella taking a bit of a victory lap and emphasizing cloud in his remarks. Take a listen. Our commercial cloud business is the largest in the world, surpassing $38 billion in revenue for the year, with gross margin expanding to 63%. I'm proud of what we have accomplished over the last 12 months, and I'm energized by the tremendous opportunity ahead. Every day, we work alongside our customers to help them build their own digital capability, creating new businesses with them, innovating with them, and earning their trust. It's hoping to squeeze in Microsoft's expense guidance, but we haven't quite gotten to it yet. CFO Amy Hood working on that portion right now, guys. Back to you. All right, John. Thank you. John Ford back at headquarters. Steve Grosso. It looks like it's going to take a run at that 140 level. It's right there. And I'll be impressed if we're a couple days out, let's say next week, and we're trading in the mid-140s. Then you have to say, okay, you know what? Rip up the script. This stock has a lot of runway ahead of it. If it fails here and comes back down, then we were all right at the beginning of the show to say you should be selling it at, at all-time highs versus taking a leg into the name. I want to look into our crystal balls. We have those? <laughs> Apparently we do. Um, is there into, more than one or is there just How one? the after-hours movers will trade in tomorrow's session. So Steve had his predictions for Microsoft. Boeing. Boeing is now up 2.4% on the news that we brought to you guys earlier about taking a charge in the second quarter. For the 737 Max. If you're asking me to stare into said crystal ball, remember the Wizard of Oz, like the the witch, the wicked witch had that. Remember, and she surrendered Dorothy. You You saw it in the theaters, right? I don't remember, but (laughs) that's real funny. They actually asked. (laughs) You done? Yeah. (laughs) I think Boeing holds the gains. I think it builds on the gains in the post market. If I'm peering into said crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. I would just say Microsoft, really interesting, when they reported their Q3 um, back in late April, the stock gapped up, and we were talking about it. Everyone was like, it was an exceptional quarter, and a few weeks later, it was down 8 9%. So, I mean, these things just don't grow, you know, especially when they're a trillion-dollar-plus market cap, so right. I would, I'd be fading it. Does this help tech overall and software specifically? I mean, it's great, great numbers. I think it does. If the whole pie's growing. I don't know Microsoft specifically. Maybe it's topped out, but yes. All right, Microsoft again up 2% here. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Steve Grasso. I'm going to keep it in the same theme as pets, where Chewy I didn't like, Zoetis, Z-T-S. Karen. Yes, Red Robin. If it's good enough for the e-block, it's good enough for the final trade. Up 16%, by the way, after hours. Dan. Uh, yeah, Microsoft, the breakout level was 130 a few weeks ago. That's where you'd buy it. Guy Dami. The only thing constant in life, Melissa Lee, is change. And we have a crack staff back in EC, but Kristen Swalinski, who you're going to see on the screen right now. There she is. She's the last day at Fast Money. Yes. She was with us forever, it seems like, but you're not leaving each other because she's going to the Power Lunch. Yeah, she's going to be a senior producer on another very fine program. Yeah. To go to stay with you. It's an unfortunate. We will sorely. Newmont Mining, Mel. I think gold market continues to go racing higher. All right, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.